Welcome to the Hunt the West podcast, where it's all about getting outside, experiencing the outdoors, and having epic adventures. At Hunt the West, my number one goal for you is to get out and hunt. And today we're going to be talking about late season archery hunting, or as we talk about it in Utah, the extended archery season. So this season in Utah is kind of a unique thing. I don't know if they do that in other states, but they do here where they have the extended archery season, which is a long season that is only in very specific units around the state where you are allowed to hunt your normally your normal general season archery tags in these specific areas late into the year. And so it presents some unique challenges and I know it's really tough for people to tackle this archery season because there's lots of people, they're in really populated areas and the the deer and elk are have different patterns because it's later in the year. So we get into a little bit of those unique challenges here today with our guest Ken. He is a wealth of knowledge and information. He has been success, successful hunting this late season extended archery hunting. He's been doing it a long time and he's been very successful at it. And today he shares a lot of his knowledge and his mindset. And I know that this is going to be really helpful for all of you. So make sure you tune into this episode. Before we get into it, though, I want to share with you a little bit of what we are doing here at Hunt the West. Very soon, we will be updating the logo for the Hunt the West podcast. We're not going to update it too much. We're just going to make some little tweaks here and there. But as part of that change, the apparel will also change. So the shirts, the t-shirts that are on the website right now will be going away. And I want you to get the chance to have the very first edition of the t-shirts that the Hunt the West podcast ever had. And if you have one of those t-shirts, it will be a ticket to free things and giveaways and special treatment because there's not very many of you that have them. And I want to reward those of you who got in on the first run of shirts. So go get those. They're only going to be available for the next couple weeks probably. Um, I don't know the timeline. So the sooner you do it, the better. And you will be rewarded if you get one of those shirts. So go to huntthewest.us slash shop get your first edition t-shirt. There's two colors, black and an army green. So we're going to be updating that logo and those shirts will never be back ever again. So get on that now. And very soon we'll be having hats too. We're going to add some more apparel things. I want to do stickers and stuff too. Anyway, so go do that. Huntthewest.us slash shop. Grab yourself a t-shirt. But for now, we are going to talk extended archery hunting and late season archery tactics for elk and mule deer here with Kenneth Odeker. All right, Ken, welcome to the Hunt the West podcast. How are you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to hear some of your stories, some of your um, experiences and stuff like that. Um, it seems to me that based on the Facebook group that we met in, that you were the guy to go to when it comes to extended archery hunting. Or at least you have a few buddies who think that you know some things. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I keep getting told. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to get into that. But um, first, let's start out with you just introducing yourself, telling us who you are, what you do, and maybe how you started getting into hunting and kind of where your hunting background started. Okay. Yeah. My name is Kenneth Utker. Um, most people know me as the dark archer around the state. I build a lot of bow strings um, for people in the state and some out of state. And, and if well, that was born out of me wanting to do everything on my own once again and start building my own bowstrings and those frustrated with that. And so that kind of turned into a little side gig here that's bigger than I ever could imagine did already. And so, and then <clears throat> that's how most people know me there. Hunting wise, nothing really too incredible growing up in necessarily i kind of got a late start i like to say because my father hunted a little bit but really we just kind of rifle hunted the same little chunk of kind of cabin community every when i was growing up with him and i never remember him killing a buck until i started archery hunting again and about i think he killed that in like 2004 or something and so I finally killed a buck on the rifle hunt. I think we went down to Beaver, I think. My dad's buddy took us down there, and I killed a little 
forky down there finally on like my second year hunting and then and then after that kind of got into high school and you know things get sideways and you don't necessarily do the things that you were doing normally and and kind of just got out of it for a bit because i said i wasn't really big into it anyway i mean it was basically a deer hunt for a couple weekends every year driving around the same two roads or three roads and that was it so not like it was this really big uh, outing you know that was ingrained deep into me you know it's like you go down the cabin and stick around for a few days and be done and so in my early 20s actually the the year before i got married i mean told my buddy i was like well should we like i'd like to get back in honey again Let's give it a go and i'd been we'd archery hunted twice like i was 14 or 15 or 15 16 with my dad and just using fingers and early 80s bows you know with like a wood riser and just heavy clunky and I was terrible at it. I mean, I'm still terrible at archery for the most part, despite what some people think. But my dad was actually really good at fingers. It was it was incredible. He still shoots better than that. I mean, he could he could old paper plate sized groupings at 50 yards, shooting fingers all day long. Shooting fingers on a on a compound. Yeah, wow. which is what like everybody full, used to like, do, right? I mean, it, it, releases are a pretty new phenomenon in all reality, and. I decided I couldn't shoot fingers at all. And so I got a crappy little T handle release at one point that my dad got me. And actually, you can still buy the release. I saw one a little while ago. I was like, holy cow, I had this thing back in 96 or something, <laughs> 95. I can't believe they still sell these things. And, and I was still horrible with it. But so we we flung sticks for a couple of years of deer, mostly unsuccessfully. My dad killed one deer with a lucky hail mary shot the second year we were nice. we were hunting just like launched this like it had to have been about 75 yards uphill guessing where it's at oh he gosh. freaking just <laughs> pinned it right through the top all the way down it went like three steps and tipped over backwards it was dead it's like all right well that was the only wow. only success we had was some dumb luck and and then uh once i got back into it it's like well should we start hunting again I'm like yeah i'd like to start getting archery again because I've always shot a bow anyway growing up, whether it's a little calm, a little recurve mainly at carp or just around the house. And so I jumped back into it and picked up actually the bow my dad was using still, but got a wrist strap release instead. And I think I still had the same sight on it and maybe I got a better rest, but shot it and was pretty good. And then I ended up killing a little three point buck my first year back. And after that, it's kind of just, I was all in. I, I pretty much dove straight in. And two years later, I got a, a new bow, but a PSE Diamondback it was. And hunted with it yep. for a couple of years and shot good with it. I just couldn't kill anything with it. I killed a doe with it. And then I just, I upgraded again after a couple of years to a nice Hoyt Protec. And then... That year I killed and I upgraded my side. I started shooting a single pin side. I was like 2005. And there just started killing stuff and started cutting my teeth there. That first year I killed that first deer down on that kind of cabin property we had. And then the second year we didn't have any luck. And then like the second half of that year we started dabbling on the front. That's when it was just barely starting to get discovered. The FMP boys have been starting to hunt it, you know, and, and they were really starting to dig on it. And so we're like, well, we'll see what it's at. And it's like, we got up there and we just got our trash just kicked, you know, <laughs> and so tough. even the second year, it's like, man, what am I doing up here? But I, you know, it's good. So those things like you just get a glimpse of some of these bucks up there and you're like, well, am I going to go drive around the same two roads and chase two points and three points, or I'm going to go after this 150, 160 and four point I've been seeing up in the yeah. canyon. And yeah, so pretty much started exclusively hanging on the front basically in 2004. And if I knew anything like I do now, I might have a decent buck on my wall, but as it is, I got a couple of <laughs> decent deer, but man, there are a lot of good bucks that I'm sure I didn't see, or I missed a few and it's a, uh, yeah. It's a different world up there now compared to what it was 16 years ago. 
Yeah, for sure. So like when you're when you're first dabbling in this and you're just kind of slowly, I mean your story your story is like s- almost scary how similar it is to mine. Whereas like we had the canyon where we hunted with <laughs> my dad when I was a teenager yeah. and I hunted once or twice and then I didn't get back into it until my early 20s and like we have very similar stories in that way. Um I'm behind you a, a lot of years in the archery game though. And um I've only been hunt doing archery the last two years now um kind of jumped on the bandwagon there but um but so like when you're first dabbling in in this archery thing I mean you said you'd been shooting archery for a long time but when it when you started to seriously pursue animals like specifically on the Wasatch front you're like um what are those things in archery that you're um or maybe not even archery just in, in hunting those deer that you changed your tactics? What are the lessons that you had? Like, what, what was your mindset shift? What kind of changed from hunting the same two roads to hunting the front? Well, and that's the biggest problem, right? Is I, I was pretty much starting over because like you say, I mean, right. Road hunting and the way I did it with a few, a little time you do, you learn nothing about the animals. I mean, you're basically just hoping to dumb luck into them, which I guess in reality is the way I've, killed a lot of my careers on the front anyway in a lot of cases i'm gonna go through several stories and be like are you serious that's how you killed that thing and it'd be like yeah i know it's dumb but it's not so <laughs> there's always luck yeah. no matter how much skill and 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 success you have or, or skill and knowledge you have there's always an element of luck oh still. yes yes for sure but... and so i went up there and i was totally i mean like i said i was completely out of my element for, for absolutely i mean it's there's no way i had any any um, reason to be on that mountain trying to kill a decent critter um i mean i just yeah it was just all a bunch of just pain and agony of learning and and even now i still don't do good enough at learning everything i need to the biggest thing is i don't spend enough preseason time up there you know i used to that's why i used to kill deer because i'd had time to go up there in the early season and actually do some scouting and now i just hope to find something late season because I'm building too many bowstrings during the summer. So during the summertime, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, as far as things I was looking for, like I said, I'd, I mean, I just really, it was all just a bunch of trial and error, really. I mean, that front is for one, it's just such difficult country to access to. I mean, the biggest thing you learn is just time on the mountain, right? I mean, whether it's learning the patterns of the deer, or learning the area on escape routes or even just the country to still hunt through so you can go through and during the day in a bedding day bedding area all that stuff shelves and trails that you can use to access deer that you do potentially spot and knowing where they're gonna feed to and from if you see them in one spot and i mean that's really the biggest thing that's is needed on that mountain no matter what i mean you could be the best guy in the world at stocking in on something but that doesn't necessarily always work i mean they don't necessarily stay in the same spot a lot of guys do have success up there for sure doing that and spotting them and sneaking in on them but at some point during the year that now especially now on the front there's just so much pressure it's hard to get that availability of having this animal that's just sitting there for you long enough to just yeah. do a six hour stock on a critter. Exactly. Cause the, the unique challenge on the front, if we had to like sum it up in just a few things, there's a ton of challenges, but it's like, it's by and large, it's really steep, really thick. And so in order to glass something, you have to be on like the opposite side of the Canyon or so you're going to be really far away. Or if you're close enough, it's still super steep and thick and so it's going to take you a long time. And with lots of pressure, that just gives the animal a lot more time or mo- a lot more opportunities to move and you a lot less time to get in on it mm-hmm. <laughs> for a spot and stock style. So is that something you kind of had to adjust your tactics on and go more of a understanding um, travel corridors and feeding and bedding areas and then ambushing them in those areas? or A little bit. I mean, areas? yeah, that's, you know, I'm even after all these years of an archery hunter i still my patience is really crappy it really is it is getting a little better but i am 
so a run and gunner guy it's just disgusting and that's i think that's one reason i'm so good at killing elk up there now is because i can just i can just go i mean it doesn't matter it's like you know my my friends get pissed at me all the time they're like dude where are we going i'm like we're going to the elk it's like that's where we're going it's like they're way over there i know it's gonna suck but that's where we're going don't 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 think about getting it down how we're gonna get yeah. it out just that's where they are yeah that's where we're going <laughs> and so i mean most of my deer even i mean i i did kill one deer um in a ground blind one year um one of my better bucks that was well, once again dumb luck, dumb luck i was up there trying to kill a cow elk that i had just oceans of elk pictures for months straight and then not another elk walk through that opening for about the week before the hunt and two months after the hunt so i was sitting there and this buck and his two buddies stumbled into my opening with all the pressure i guess around and to be able to whack him at 24 yards you know but other than that usually i'm either still hunting them i had to do some spot and stock a lot of my critters actually up there have been killed by still hunting, surprisingly enough, which a lot of people say, well, they call it still hunting because you're still always hunting. But I've had a I've had a good luck uh, just slowly creeping through and running into critters somehow. <clears throat> so So what are what are some lessons that you've learned as you've refined your technique and your your style for still hunting? What are some things that you've learned that are really helpful in getting it done still hunting? Um, you're never slow enough, and I can never be slow enough, and no matter how hard I try, and it's always that last point when you give up that all of a sudden something pops up for whatever reason. doesn't matter how far you've gone. You could be all the way through the, the stand of trees, and you just go a little faster, and the damn thing would pop up in the middle of the grass flat right in front of you probably <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i mean it's just you just never know i mean i've had times where i've been at light going through some place and i can't get on a critter to save my life and then all of a sudden you go crashing through something and all of a sudden it's standing there in front of you 20 yards away like giving you enough time to get arrow out and whack it you know i just i I have not yet to figure out a reasonable explanation for how I've killed several of my critters for sure. So would you suggest just keep doing it and try yeah. and stay patient and just keep going through? That's all you can do, right? That's why I said, I mean, success on the front is all about time on the mountain. That is, I mean, general and archery hunting in general, that's the way it is. But on the front, for me anyway, it's applied way more. I mean, I can go, Seems like every, every time I get away from the front, I hunt some, you know, hunt similar species elsewhere. It always seems like it's far easier to locate them and be potentially successful on them after you've spent so many years chasing critters on the front, just because the front is just so incredibly difficult to manage as an archery hunter between the inaccessibility and the terrain and how thick it is. It's just, and, you know, the scarcity of animals and the pressure, right? I mean, you got day hikers, you got hunters, you got mountain bikers. I mean, you just got everything just piled into that mountain and it can be incredibly frustrating. And at the same time, you can have the greatest luck in the world sometimes. It's like anywhere, but it always seems like you go out of there, out of the front, and it's like things get significantly easier if you've been just trying to spend all your time on the front. Yeah, for sure. I mean... I haven't spent a ton of time hunting the front, but I've spent a lot of time hiking through it and um, looking at it. I mean, it's it's close. <laughs> That's where everyone lives, right? Yep. That's like so. I and I've always imagined. I know, um, like way back in the day, I had my. It was my dad's uncle who killed a giant buck back when you could use a rifle on the front, and. Um, he killed a giant buck and I can see it from my parents' house, like the grove of trees. It's way up high on the mountain, but my dad always talked about how his uncle had killed this giant buck up in those trees. And I've always wanted to get up there, but man, it, I mean, 
just getting up there. I don't even know. Like it just getting up there is, is a, is a task. Yeah. And then you got to start hunting. So, and then you add in the pressure from hikers and bikers. Like you said, that's where all the people are too. And so every trail that you'd use to access it, there's also a lot of people. So it just presents a lot of unique challenges. And, uh, but I mean, that's why they let you hunt it, right? That's why it's open to, that's why it's an extended archery unit, an area is because there's it, the success rate is so low that they, I mean, they just kind of let everybody do it. Oh yeah. And yeah, but it presents all those challenges. So, um, what if, when you have, we've, I, I think we've been mostly talking about deer, but yeah, have you done, have you had success hunting elk too, extended archery? Oh yeah. I've actually probably got more success hunting elk up there than deer. And I think I've killed. Oh really? It's going to add up. I can't so remember the, how many I think I've killed. Uh, I think I got like eight to 10 bulls and five or six cows in the last well, since 2008 was the first cow I tagged, cow first elk I tagged. A sob story about my first elk I shot on the front, but um, well, let's hear it. Let's hear it. <laughs> so, so I just killed. So it's 2005. Uh, this is one of those where you think, oh, karma is gonna pay me back, and then it never did for a lot of years. But um, so 2005. I just killed my best buck, still my best buck to date, 160 inch deer, which once guns again was nice. just a, a dumb luck kill almost on that. Um, and so then that, then we'd gone, I'd killed my wife's first archery deer like two days prior. So she got her first archery kill. And then so me and a buddy were up there looking for elk and deer for him and elk for me. And, we're hiking around the edge of this end of this mountain or into this ridge and it's probably 10 or 11 in the morning I and mean, it's late you know and i was all ready to go of course like anything and my buddy he didn't even have his release on him for whatever reason yet and all of a sudden this elf just like walks right towards us like kind of right below us and ends up walking right underneath of us, like 20 yards, 25 yards, I think it was, and stops. And by this time, I was already ready to go. And so I, I hammered him, and he went straight down the hill about 70-ish yards or something and stopped again, kind of quarter and way heavy. And I'm like, well, he's still up. I'm shooting again. And didn't have time to range it, I figured, so I just – like, all right, I figure he's about 60-ish yards and pulled back, let him have it. And I saw the arrow dip way low. Like, it went right below him maybe or maybe caught him low because he, he was standing in pretty high brush, like everything up there. Everything's freaking waist-high yeah. brush up there. And shot again. He went running off. And he kind of went over and he stopped. We couldn't see him, but we did hear him. And then we kind of heard him. Um, growl and kind of grumble on and turn him tip over. I'm pretty sure I'm like, holy crap! I think I just shot it. And it was like, it's like a 300 inch oh six point bolt. I mean, it's not like a oh my gosh. Tank. I mean, it's like a legit bolt. <laughs> that's like full grown. Yeah, like, that's that's like they don't come much bigger than that. No, and so I'm thinking, <laughs> holy crap, dude! I just shot a 165 inch buck a week ago. My best buck, best first four point. You know, only four point I've got, and also the six point bull walks into me and I freaking hammer him. You know. Like, this is insane. <laughs> so we go down, and sure enough, there he is, Desidore. And I freaking just 12 ringed him, you know, That's on the awesome. first shot. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, so I'm turning him, you know, and I see, oh, he's got a hole down on his belly, too. I'm like, oh, I must have got him with that second arrow. You know, I just kind of nipped him, you know. Belly. Yeah, so yeah. I just hit him low, and that's exactly, you know, my arrow went low. I was like, all right, I kind of hit him in the belly. It was way back. I mean, right in front of the back leg, basically, and only about two inches into the belly. So way low, right where I, you know, my arrow went, I thought. So it's like, sweet. So we start taking him apart, you know, and we're taking him. And then all of a sudden, about an hour-ish later, it was the first elk I'd ever taken apart. I'd never cut an elk apart before this, you know, and I was still fairly new on the 
quartering thing as it was anyway. You know, I killed a couple of deer and that was it. And so we're taking it apart. And all of a sudden these three guys come walking up uh, behind us, basically. And they're like, that's our elk. I'm like, um, no, this isn't your elk. I just freaking 12 ringed him 60 yards up the hill here. And this is him, you know. I'm like, this is my arrow hole I put in him right here, you know. It's my bloody arrow. I mean, my arrow's stuck in the tree on the other side of him on my first shot, you know. It's like I knew right where the yeah. arrow's at. <laughs> and like, no, we shot. We've been tracking him. I'm like, what? Are you serious? And my buddy goes up there. And sure enough, he, there was blood on the trail before I shot him. Oh, geez. These guys had freaking shot him. And literally, I mean, it was literally barely in that elk. I mean, they, they would have never found him. At all. Never in a million years would have found that elk. I mean, literally it was not elite. Was it, it wasn't a lethal shot. No, I mean, it it may have been eventually. It was probably, you know, a week or two later, maybe it would have survived it. But I mean, it was so little under the guy. I said it was two inches up and right in front of the front back leg. I mean, Oh geez. So non-lethal for, I mean, they would have kicked him up a hundred times and they would have never found him, you know? And so it's like, Oh, this is terrible. It's like, what the heck? I don't even know, like, what are the, like, what's the rule on that? Like, what are the ethics on that? Like, you you know, you get both opinions, right? You get first blood or you get the person actually killed it. You know, I certainly killed it. That's for sure. Um, So me being Mr. Uh, Anti-confrontational, I said, well, let's flip a coin for it. So we did a set of two out of three coin flip and he won it. Oh, geez. Oh man! Oh my! That is a sob story. Oh my gosh! Well, so you got pictures, and that was it. Yep. Like, and I got you a one, back strap or anything. Yeah, he gave me some meat, and he also gave me an ivory <laughs> out of it. Um, and then, ironically enough, I lost that ivory, and then that year I killed my my best bull after I lost that ivory front. Oh. Um, and but yeah, it was it was an insane. That's I mean. You want to talk about a crazy story to start out your elk that hunting career? That is nuts. Um, so I figured, yeah. all right, well, Carmel will pay me back, and I'll kill an elk. You know, well, I, I finally killed a cow three years later up there, and then it took me another two years to kill a bull. So <laughs> it yeah. didn't quite pay me back as fast as I was hoping it was going to. Yeah. So um, as far as tactics going for late, like late season, are what? What time of year are you hunting these elk? Um, what are kind of what's kind of your game plan going into these hunts? So as far as like overall strategy, I I mean that was the earliest I ever killed an elk for sure. I mean that was the I think that was the third weekend maybe might have been the second. Uh, it had to have been the third weekend. So I killed my deer the opening weekend. My wife killed him the second, and that would have been the third weekend. So like first week of September. So that would have been yeah the first week of September then. Okay. Um, I have killed a cow. I did kill a cow up there the first week on Thursday after the hunt, the first Thursday of the hunt. Once again, dumb luck on that. And then, uh, I mean, once again, you kind of know where the elk like to hang out. And so you work your way through those areas. You just hope you're quiet enough to come up on something. And I did, thankfully enough. Um, ironically enough, that was the same year I killed that buck from that, uh, ground blind that I was waiting for cows and they disappeared on me and I killed that buck and then went back to go check my trail camera because I'm like, are they even coming through here? And if they weren't, there hadn't been another elk on there in the last, you know, week. And I'm like, well, I'm going to walk kind of walk around the mountain and walked around the mountain and ended up finding a couple cows and ended up killing one. But <clears throat> so for the most part though up there, I've learned that I don't even mess with the elk until basically late season. You know, I mean, I, I used to have, Five to seven years ago, October was a good month for me. Um, now October is just so there's just too many people now. I mean, I think it's most of it. And I think the elks just changed. I mean, in, in general, I think elk in general. I think throughout the state, and a lot of these people can complain about the lack of elk. And I just think people underestimate how smart elk are. And when you chase and kill elk in a certain spot for so long, they eventually learn that. Hey, if I go over to this spot, I don't get pestered as much. And so they just don't even come back to that point. That's place at some yeah. point. And so me, I don't, I mean, I'll, I'll always have my tag because, 
you know, dumber things have happened as far as, you know, when you'll have an elk run by you on the front. Yeah. <laughs> but I pretty much don't even get serious with it until mid-October. And even then it's like, all right, I'll go and see you in some years. I'll go up there starting October and I'll see you all the time. Just kind of hitting December miss, 10th huh? and I'll finally start seeing elk, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's literally that, that bipolar up there for me. I mean, it, that's why I tell people all the time. Elk are where they are when they're there. And that's the best explanation <laughs> you're going to get for elk hunting. So as far as finding them goes, um, I mean, I'm sure you have like key areas where you've seen them before and you like have your areas where you want to check out. Is are, are trail cams part of that strategy? Is that like an integral part of your strategy, having trail cams and looking around and checking them? It is not. Um, I'm not a big trail camera guy. I'd like to, but when, I just don't have enough time for them most of the time. Um, I think they're adequate for the elk hunting on the front. I just, they, they move too much. They're in too big of rotation. Even if they end up in the same spot, potentially in the same area again, it'll probably be most likely once the hunt start anyway, best case scenario, it'll be every week maybe you know it's that crazy i mean unless you and there's a couple spots once it gets really late and you get a lot of snow they're gonna be there a little more consistently oh can you still hear me okay my internet yeah yeah it cut out for a second there but i can still hear you okay all right yeah and so i mean yeah like i said when you get to late season it's definitely more consistent so would you like, are you talking early November, mid November? Like uh, it starts snowing it, a little it, bit. Yeah. Or? It usually, and it all depends, right? I mean, and consistent means, okay, maybe I'll see them up in this area twice over a week, you know? Um, they still just move incredibly. I mean, it's, it's really hard. There's a couple of places I could put a camera for sure. I'd see the elk, but I know they're going to be there at some point. So camera's not going to tell me any good. You know, I've just been there enough that I know that potentially once there gets some weather and even not, you know, depending on the weather, I mean, there's still going to be some elk up there potentially. But I'll go to places and I'll have literally 100 head of elk that I'll see. And I'll go up literally the next day and I won't see an elk, you know. I mean, it's that bad. Yeah. And maybe that's because they go to the other side of the mountain and it's so crappy thick over there. You're never going to have any chance of getting into them and finding them anyway. You're just going to be fumbling around and you know, scaring critters out of there. So it's one of those that, you know, once again, it's a, it's just a, a insanity test, you know. It's like how many times can you hike up to this hill and hope there's going to be elk there, really. And you just keep checking all your spots and, you hope you intersect with them and you hope maybe they'll stick around for a week at some point, you know, and a couple of times, maybe you'll have two chances at them and that three or four times you go up in there and other times you don't, you get one chance and then someone else bumps in there the next day and they're out of there for a bit and maybe they'll be back in there another two weeks after they get bumped from somewhere else. So the yeah. weather warms up and they get back in that area because the snow's melted off the side of the hill maybe or whatever. And that could be three miles away and that could be 10 miles away. Yeah. So are you, is your, as you approach that, are you just like, okay, there's, there's not any elk here right now, but there's fresh sign here or there's a few day old sign in here. So I'm going to just keep moving until I find them. Um, trying to figure out where they're most likely have gone. How do you kind of tackle that approach? Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, once again, yeah, especially once the snow falls, right, it's usually pretty easy to tell where a herd of elk is, I mean, especially when you run into a big herd, you know, it's like you can see yeah. from across the canyon. It's like, oh, well, the elk have been over there. <clears throat> um, the same thing, it's like, you know, they've just barely been there, but it's like, all right, they could have gone several places. And uh, once again, you just kind of start checking off your areas. It's like, all right, it's getting more snow, so they're probably going to head down this way, the less snow, but then I said the big, big determining factor like all this right is the pressure i mean elk will i mean the cows can't stand quite as much they still a lot of those bulls i mean i've chased bulls and snow that was up above my waist you know and they're just chilling up there 
having a good time because they can handle that, you know. And I said the bull hunting isn't near as good as it used to be for sure. I mean, I remember going back to some areas and I said it doesn't matter the time of year. You start going back in there in November and you're going to see six to 12 bulls guaranteed about every time you went in there. And a couple of them would be pretty legit bulls, you know, I mean, 300 plus bulls for sure. And the others were not really slouches either, but, and now it's just, now it's weird. All the cows have moved in there with the bulls, which is kind of odd. I mean, now, now it's very rarely I see the bulls without the cows late season, which is kind of contrary to most of the logic up there. Yeah. Because usually they hang out in bachelor groups, you know, they, they like get in those sanctuaries you yep. find those little pockets where they're not getting bothered and they hold up with a bunch of bulls and the yep. cows are down lower in the, in the valleys. And yeah. And I know there's some spots still that you will get those bull sanctuaries for, for certain. I mean, I do have a couple areas that I know that the bulls will do that. Absolutely. But the main area that I usually hunt, and it used to be like, I don't remember seeing a cow in there the first maybe five years that I hunted up in there late season. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I got literally a hundred head of elk back here. And I've literally chased groups of elk with six point bulls bugling in late November, you know, with you know, 60, 70 head of elk, you know, and they're six point. I mean, I got, you know, half dozen six point bulls, half dozen spikes and 12 raghorns, you know, just kicking with Dang. 60 or 70 cows. And <laughs> I don't know if that's because they've learned that the more eyeballs help them stay alive up there or what, I don't know, yeah. but. It's 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 weird how it's changed over the years because I said it would you would not see a cow up there the first few years that I was hunting that country and now it's I just got a huge group of traveling elk. It's kind of weird once it gets late enough those bulls do once they the cows move down lower um, the bulls will kind of end up leaving them at that point. But there is a pretty good time period there, especially during especially like October. Well, when I used to hunt them, when I used to find them in October ish to you know, mid to late November that, you know, you got this big group of cows and bulls and calves now. And then about that last couple of weeks, when the snow gets really bad, usually then the cows and the calves can't handle it. You know, they end up way down in the face and then the bulls stay up a little bit longer. They eventually usually end up down lower eventually too, once the snow gets really bad. But most time in the state, we don't get that type of snow to push the bulls down yeah january you know february time period when they really move way down low into winter country yeah yeah we uh yeah we always get those storms they dump a bunch and then they melt pretty quick and yeah so those south facing slopes sometimes they just they stay open like there's no there's no snow on them yeah and but those north facing slopes they'll have four feet of snow yep and so it's like it can present a unique challenge. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you about when, so say somebody has successfully tracked down a herd of elk or whatever, and they're like, okay, sweet. There's a hundred of them though. How does one even approach like getting in on an elk with a bow when there's 200 eyeballs? Like, how do you even, how do you even tackle that? Like, it's, I wouldn't even know where to start. Like, well, you know, you're going to get spotted or smelled certain, or something. It's certainly all situational, right? I mean, all, all hunting is situational. Right. Um, there's there's no cookie cutter for any of it for damn sure because we'd all be really successful if there was some cookie cutter formula for all of this. Um, big herds like that, once again, is knowing the terrain and, and knowing the habits. And, I mean, I've certainly had reasonable luck cutting elk off and not necessarily have them walk past me i'm in a little bit of that um trailing i'm just trailing them until you get a shot at them and the big thing like so usually i just yeah i mean it's all i mean it's like i say you just gotta pick your plan i mean i certainly have far bigger list of the plans that failed than that worked you know <laughs> right and sometimes you get multiple chances that heard like that you know i mean it's it's pretty shocking how many how many chances you can get at a herd like that if you know what you're doing um 
sometimes you don't sometimes you get one chance and then it's like well they just dumped into the abyss over there and there's no way i'm going to take something out of there and i mean i've killed them in all sorts of ways right i've i've lucked out into having them walk into me reasonably close i've you know cut them off i've ran them down um i've certainly never called any of them in that's for sure i mean i've yeah <laughs> my my prowess as an elk caller is about as bad as it gets which just shocks me how well i kill elk because well i've i've called in for sure maybe two or two elk two to three elk in my entire life and one of them was a nice a giant a big bull for my buddy on the wasatch front on the wasatch limit entry and then in a couple of cows and that's about my uh, milk calling prowess unfortunately which I still can't figure out why I'm so terrible at that but I am and but yeah I mean I've had yeah like I said a lot of times I usually try and cut them off and that's when I had that one I always had a couple areas that were always good in mid-October-ish you know right about this time but first week of October to the end of October I'd go up there it was really close stupid how easy it was to access it I could run up there and the elk would come up one or one of two of these canyons. I'd sit in between the canyons. I'd wait to see where they were coming up and I'd try to run around and get in front of them as they're going over the top because, you know, obviously you always know the wind goes down in the morning and so you couldn't be above them early. I had to be in the middle of it. So then my wind wouldn't catch them and they'd basically kind of have to run around and time it to try and cut them off as they're going over the top, you know, and I've successfully done that a little bit for sure. More times than not, they still move way faster than you can get around to them and they end up over the top and in the country that you just know you don't have much of a chance to and you don't want to go into because once again, you're like, yeah, I got to pull it out of there. And so you don't, uh, you know, I've, I've still done plenty of stupid things, killing critters in stupid <laughs> places, yeah. but I try to I try to make some reasonable decisions occasionally, despite what my friends will tell you. <laughs> but so that's you know I've I've used that way a lot. And that you know I got one area that no matter what that's always a good tactic in that area. I just I know the habits enough. I know where they usually like to go enough that I can usually get in front of them reasonably, I guess, in front of them. But you know you just at some point. They always zig when you zag and all of a sudden you got to pivot on your strategy and they pivot into a spot that makes it impossible to get to them because all of a sudden you got 80 or 200 eyeballs and ears and noses picking you off at some point, you know? Right. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. And, you know, like I said, that late country, late season stuff is usually a little more open because they're up there on the open hillsides. And so, it's really a tough game. It's all, I said, once again, it's a numbers game. The more times you're up there, the more of those opportunities you're going to have, you know? I mean, it's just yeah. that simple in that regard. I mean, that's, and maybe if I hunted smarter, I wouldn't have to hunt as much, but then again, I guess then I'd deny myself time in the mountains. So I guess being yeah. kind of a <laughs> unreasonable and um, antsy hunter lets me spend more time in the woods and trying to kill an elk. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really what I think it comes down to is just, you got to get up there and start failing, making mistakes and learning those lessons. Mm -hmm. And, um, the more you get out there, you're more, even if you have like a really good strategy, you realize the one little thing you did wrong. You're like, oh yeah, I should have, you know, taken my boots off <laughs> or, um, you know, I mean, I'm thinking of more summertime stuff, but yeah. like, uh, yeah, like you think, oh, I should have. I should have ducked under this this little rise before I went over that ridge instead of just going up over the top, you know, so they spotted me. Like, all those little things that you learn, like, I mean, I have countless stories <laughs> like that. We're <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, they are running away from me right now because I was dumb. And, yeah, so, like, you, it's like you were saying earlier, is like, there's no real formula for it. You just got to get out and try a bunch of stuff and see what works yep. <laughs> and it helps if you're in shape and you can run to the top of the mountain and <laughs> cut them off <laughs> oh yeah yeah absolutely i mean that's certainly a huge part of it um yeah I've, you know my friends they like call me a mountain goat and shows for whatever reason i don't know why i'm so good at it but i am good at hiking for whatever reason um 
and it's just yeah, you get out there and grind it out. And some days it's easy. I mean, I've I've killed elk half mile from the road, and I've killed elk six miles from the you know truck. You know, I mean, it's it all kind of depends on how lucky you are that day and where you find them and you know how it all works out. And like I said, I've had a lot of a lot of good luck over the years and people helped me out Had some strangers pack out and elk once on their horse for me. And then I lucked into <laughs> I've had that for me too. <laughs> oh man. Um, you know, just a bunch of good friends that, and I've gotten a bunch of friends in archery over the years for sure. And all my, all my storytelling is infectious, they say. And so they've several friends have jumped into it. And I've, I've recruited packers over the years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you just got another one for me. Anytime you need something <laughs> packed out, I'm there, man. Yeah. yeah. And you, you've definitely got a few friends on Facebook who really wanted you to be on this podcast. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, um, tell, tell us a little bit about your, your bowstring, um, gig that you're running. And, and, uh, so if guys want to get in contact with you and get a, bo- a sweet bowstring, what, where do they need to go and that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, so basically, for the most part, I do all my stuff through Facebook or Instagram. You can find me at Dark Archer Customs on there. And that's uh, usually the way most people get a hold of me. And, you know, if you want to come down here, I'm in Lehigh. And I can also ship strings as well. If you get your own press and want to do your own thing, you know, I can certainly ship strings for you. But give me a call or message me and and get you hooked up with some strings for your bow. I have most most bows I can build for. Get some strange ones occasionally that no one's built a string for in 20 years, and so some of those can be a struggle. But a lot of them I can I can get the uh, specs for them. So yeah, go and give me a call. Yeah, I, I also install and tune them as well. So if you need that done, I can offer that service as cool. well. We'll we'll link uh, Dark Archer Customs in the in the description of this podcast, and um, we'll uh, link all your info there too, so people can just click on it and check you out if they want. Cool. Um, any any closing thoughts? Anything you want to help newbies out with? Maybe any words of wisdom? Um, <laughs> I mean, you've already I mean, blessed us a lot with uh, all your wisdom, but uh, that's the that, um, biggest thing is just getting out there and just hiking, right? I mean, it's just. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of been a bad example last year. I just don't get out there a whole lot, but thankfully I've spent some time over there. So it's one of those, even now it's like, I, I struggle to get out during this time of the year. Cause I just know it's so terrible hunting out there for the most yeah. part. It's dry. <laughs> There's still leaves on there. You can't take a step without sounding like a freight train going through there. And the chance of seeing anything are so slim that I really kind of slack off this, <laughs> this middle part of this <laughs> extended hunt. Um, but I've had other, you know, this year has been bad too with all the other irons in the fire I've had, but, um, I think the big thing is just, you know, finding your way up there. I mean, I started out, I'd never backpacked hunted before I went on, before I started hunting the front, you know, I'd never really hiked very much, uh, you know, bow wise, you know, I just kept learning. I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? Is know your equipment, get confidence in your equipment. Um, I tell people all the time, the more you know about your bow, the more, more apt you're going to be successful because something goes wrong, you can diagnose it instead of sitting there stewing on what is happening. You can say, oh, well, I know maybe I can tweak this a little bit, whether it's maybe you're doing something wrong in your form or even a tuning issue. I mean, bows aren't um, infallible. I mean, they will come out of tune occasionally and some will get bumped. I mean, the front is not kind to equipment any <laughs> yeah. stretch. Scrub so, up the worst. You always want to keep a, keep an eye on your equipment, you know, and shoot some arrows occasionally and make sure things look like they're still dialed in. Um, hiking wise, you know, it's like one of those things, right? I mean, I used to be big into running once again when I had time. And running helped, I guess, a little bit for hiking, but it really doesn't translate, right? I mean, I'd say maybe it helped me recover a little bit faster from hiking, but I wouldn't say it helped me actually hike. You know, it's like, you just got to get on that grade and just crank it out. You know, I mean, that's, and the next thing is trekking poles. Like, you know, most people, you know, it's kind of getting a big thing now is the, the hippie sticks, you know, but 
I mean, I had a buddy dude, introduce I'm, him. I'm all for him. Dude. Yeah, I had I'm a buddy introduce him, him to me on my mountain goat hunt. He's like, dude, he's like, if we're going, if I'm going back in there with you, he's like, you're taking some trekking poles. I'm like, why do I need them? Like, and I was after that. It's like, why have I not been using these? You know, this is stupid. And I will religiously use my trekking poles until I get my bow in my hand, you know, at first light, basically. And once my bow's in my hand, then they're on the pack. But if I'm hiking in or out, my sticks are on yeah. my hand, you know. If I if I'm in legal shooting light, though, I got my bow on, on my you know bow on me. And that's another thing too, right? Is when you're hiking around, it's like if I can legally shoot something, if it's legal shooting light, and I got a tag for it, my bow is in my hand. Absolutely, hundred um, percent. Yeah. I mean, we've exactly. all we've all know someone or all had the, had the problem of, oh well, I just put my bow on my pack and I had a good buddy. He left us. He had to go back hiking down and there's this four point stand right in the middle of the freaking road on him because he's hiking out and his bow's on his pack. And so, you know, I always have my bow ready with my wrist strap with my release on or handy, whatever you're doing, you know, if you got a T handle or thumb release, whatever, keep that sucker handy and keep your bow in your hand. Cause especially on the front, there's just, there's the chance of having a critter pop in front of you is stupid. I mean, I was hiking down, I was less than about a mile yeah, a little less than a mile from the trailhead. Very popular trail, mid-ish October or something like this. Just snowed, and I think my buddy had actually just killed a deer I helped him with. And anyway, so I'm hiking down. All of a sudden, there's a six-point bull standing off the side of the trail. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And so I never did. Kill, I didn't kill him, you know, but. It was like one of those things. At least I had a chance, you know. My boat went on a pack, wouldn't have any chance at all, you know. But I was, right. you know, I was raised I could have been, you know, for having an elk stand fifty yards off the trail on, you know. I mean, elk aren't too forgiving in that regard. Like a deer, you know, they'll stand there for a second. <laughs> the elk yeah. aren't quite that nice usually. <laughs> they aren't, unfortunately. <laughs> so you know, get that, get your shooting equipment. Um, like pack wise, I always carry my full size pack. And I never did understand this day pack people that are hiking in there four or five miles. And they're like, oh, I'm taking my 2200 in there. I'm like, why? That's dumb. Like, you're going to be able to carry out a back strap maybe in that sucker from an elk, you know? And it's like, then you got a eight mile round trip to go get a reasonable pack, you know? It's like, by that time, you got half of it out with a railroad pack, and then you're only one more trip instead of two more if you only got some little dinky pack. So I like carrying out. I mean, I run a Kuyu Icon Pro 5200. Um, you know, not the best pack, according to some people. I like it. It's been good for me. It's light compared to a lot of the big other packs out there. Um, it cinches down really tight and small for me when I've got it basically empty. And so I can, you know, it tucks right behind my, my little frame and it's, you know, pretty quiet. And then it expands out and I can put you know, 150 pounds in which I have, I've put 150 pounds on that thing and hiked it out of the mountain, you know, which is go. a much for 150 pound guy, but it works, you know, <laughs> that's and, a lot. that's a lot of weight. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, take that pack. Another thing, you know, I know I still carry too much stuff, but a lot of times I'm hunting by myself. And so I, I always carry a few extra things to you know, in case something goes a little sideways. I can, you know, make it okay. If it's got to start a fire and a couple other items, you know, extra clothing. I'm always cold, unfortunately. I'm not very warm most of the time in the wintertime, so I got to bring luxe clothing. But, you know, that's the thing, too. I've, I've, I've certainly carried way down. When I first, the first three or so years I hunted on the front, I was just gobs of garbage I was carrying the first few years, you know, and even then I just keep carrying stuff down. It's like, all right, do I really need this very often, you know? And I don't. Yeah, that's always you know? a good thing to do. Yeah. And so, you know, look, assess your pack, but you know, I said, I'd, I'd get, a, you know, I'll get packs always, always good for sure. I mean, I've certainly come across several packs that are just garbage and I'm like, how are you even using this? I mean, this is absolutely unusable pack, you know, I mean, for a while there, actually, I was using a, a Kelty Red Cloud backpack <laughs> that was actually a really good pack. I was, I cannot believe how good that pack was for $140 pack. I loaded that thing with 120, 100 to 140 pounds, probably over a dozen times, and plus another two dozen times of, you know, 80 to 100 pounds before it 
finally ripped the waist belt off of it, you know, but it, it lasts <laughs> seven or eight years, you know, of hard, hard use. And it was still a very comfortable pack to use. And it was light when I, when it was empty. And, and so it was, you know, it was still better than, you know, an old army rucksack or something like that by a long stretch. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know, packs are a big deal for sure. And then, uh, I had something else in my mind here that I was going to mention. Um, and that's another thing, right? You know, instead of being by myself, I mean, that's usually that probably, gosh, at least 50% of my elk have been by myself for sure. Um, and so that's, you know, that's, and deer's probably about that. Um, but a lot of it, I tell people, you know, it's like, if you're waiting for some, waiting for your buddies to go hunting, you're not going to go hunting very often, you know, um, right. <laughs> which sucks, you know, but luckily I have the, luckily for me, I have some bandwidth where I can go during the week. So that helps me a ton. That's another thing, right? As you can go during the week and that's going to weigh up your chances of killing, especially nowadays yeah. on the extended. Sure. I mean, of your people. I almost won't even go on the weekends unless I'm planning on hiking in there five yeah. six miles you know which is a little uppity but it's just the way it is right if you got that option during the week yeah. and even then now that's still getting crazy during the week it still shocks me the amount of people yeah. that are up there during the well, week yeah especially now. when like now with like work from home stuff and lockdown mm-hmm. stuff <laughs> it's like people are kind of home a lot more and they're like oh if i just work from home i can uh do the zoom meeting and then go out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting this year. We're absolutely yeah. sure on that because the outdoors is already psycho enough this year. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's, I've never seen so many people this year. I'm like, Hey, this was like an almost private trail that I used to go on. And now there's like tons of people. Yeah. Which is good. I mean, it's good to have people get out and everything, but um, yeah, it, you just have to adapt and change how you approach things. And there's always going to be something new that changes and that's just hunting so yeah yeah absolutely yeah and so yeah, i go up by myself and that's a big thing is just knowing the areas and even now i'm still picking around and finding new areas and just checking out new areas I mean, not not new areas for a lot of people obviously but new areas for me i mean i think a lot of people can get stuck for sure i mean i know they can get stuck in areas you know and they just like well they were here at one point you know and they should be here again and that's probably not true anymore, right? I mean, it's just, you can't get stuck in an area. It's just, you got to expand out. And those other areas are probably going to suck more. I mean, not many people start in the areas that suck to go into, right? I mean, right. most people get started off in the easy areas. All right, this is a good trail. It's not too steep. It's fairly decent country to hunt in. I can class some areas. And that's where the majority of people hunt. And so you get stuck in there and you're like, well, I know this place. I know the deer like to come down that draw. I know they feed across here. And so they don't want to leave that because they're like, well, if I go over there, I got to go another 2,000 vertical feet. And then I can't glass anything with this little junk or I got to just hike through there. And then, you know, so you got, you know, maybe two or three years of new learning curve on that area. And it's it's daunting. It is for sure. But, you know, they certainly want to expand out that's uh, that's hard to do even for me i mean i still struggle it's like i still want to hit my hit my home home bases you know and it's just usually not as good anymore as what they used to be yeah so it's gotta, so hard it's so those hard. Areas out. yeah it's hard not to go back to those areas you're like well this one time on this wallow there was a giant buck or, or bu- giant bull at this wallow and you're like want to go check it out and see if that bull is there again for some reason yep. like today and it's, yeah it's hard to get out of that rut that we get into but yep. this is all super super great advice i am so glad i know that guys are going to love this episode um it's just jam-packed full of tips and tricks and mindset things so um we'll be sure to link all that stuff that we mentioned in the podcast notes and uh thanks for coming on ken this has been awesome <laughs> No problem. Hope you have some luck up there this year. Maybe we can uh, get together and share the hill sometime there. Yeah, that'd be great.
All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Ken. He is obviously just a, like a wealth of knowledge uh, on hunting, especially that extended archery season. I mean, he's been successful so many times. I know I learned a lot in that episode. I'm sure you guys did too. So um, be sure to hit up Dark Archer Customs if you're in the if you're looking for a, a bowstring, and uh, I'll leave a link to that in the description or in the show notes, whatever you call that, in the show notes, in whatever podcast app you're listening, there will be a link for that. Um, as well as everything you need with regard to this episode will be at huntthewest.us slash 40. This is episode 40, huntthewest.us slash 40, and you can find all the relevant information there as well. So I hope this has been helpful for you. I know it has been for me. So get out there and hunt the West. Hunt the West.